Hello, Chase Oaks. That should get you going, right? And I'm so glad that you are here, whether you are online, uh, wherever you are watching, or you're here at a legacy campus at the service when we tape it. And, and by the way, uh, coming Friday night, um, it, it, Sundays are awesome and come Sundays too, but if you come Friday, there's some specialness to Friday because that is when we uh, taper online. And, uh, and so anyway, thanks for being part of it and for being here. So today we're continuing our series called GOAT, um, Greatest of All Time, about Jesus and, and, and what it means to become more like him, to be transformed as we put into practice the practices of Jesus. Because you and I are shaped not by our intentions. That would be easy, Right. If it was just all it took to grow is good intentions, because all of us have good intentions. You, you would not be here without good intentions. That's one thing we all have in common right now, which is why you're here and you're at church or you're watching online. But it's actually not intentions that get us anywhere that motivates us. But actually, our habits are what shape our lives. And all of us right now are already being shaped by our habits that we already have. This is an opportunity to introduce some new habits in our life that then train like the habits of Jesus, the disciplines that, that he practiced so that we can become more like him. And today's is a, another super important and impactful one, and that is intentional community. Because you and I cannot grow to be more like Jesus on our own. It's just one of those things that you can't do on your own. In fact, I want you to think real quick about what are some things that you really can't do at least very well on your own. Get that in your head. Turn to somebody next to you real quick and just share something that you can't do on your own. Go ahead. Make your little list. Okay, so one thing that just happened there, extroverts just had a good time. And introverts were praying it would be over really quick. And, uh, and it was over pretty quick. I, I bailed you out. But here's my little list of some things. So here things you really can't do on your own. Pickleball, which I'll play tomorrow. Not so easy. Uh, get a hug. Hugging yourself is really not that great. Water ski, hard to do on your own. Play Marco Polo, no fun on your own. Make a baby, can't do that on your own. Um, become like Jesus, you can't do that on your own either. And yet in our individualistic culture, as I said last week, we are the most individualistic culture in the history of the world. We could easily bring that into our, in fact, we naturally will bring that into our Christianity. And, and therefore, for us, spirituality or rela- relationship with God, Christianity, is about God and me. And we'll talk about like a personal relationship with Jesus, which, yes, we are a person. We have a relationship with Jesus. And I get that that is true. But the Bible never talks about it that way. What the Bible talks about is a communal relationship with Jesus, where it's not just God and me. It's actually God and we and that you and I are essentially connected to others in the, the body of Christ. The body is the image the Bible uses. If I cut off my little finger, it's not going to live very long for my body. Right. We, you and I are essentially connected in Ephesians four is the body builds itself up in love. That's how we grow. We grow together over and over again in the New Testament. All these commands, one another commands, love one another, serve one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, admonish one another, and so on. Because we one another our way to spirituality. It's kind of like right now, um, when I think about the Christian life, my wife, Christy, works uh, this time of year 
for a children's theater. And they're doing all these productions. So she's really busy with these productions. And right now they're doing The Wizard of Oz. Uh, which is a great picture, right? That you and I, the only way you and I are going to get to the destination is with a crew. Just like Dorothy and the others. Like Dorothy would have never gotten to the destination, gotten home without the rest of them. Uh, the tin man would have never found his heart. Uh, the lion would have never found his courage. The scarecrow would have never found his brain. Toto would have nobody to rub his tummy on his own, right? Nobody could achieve what they wanted to achieve on their own. And the Christian life is the same way. And therefore, when you, when you look at how, at how Jesus lived life and what he called people to, when he called them to follow him, it wasn't just him and it wasn't one-on-one. It was in the context of a group. It was in the context of a crew. It was in the context of intentional community. And very few people have that. It's easy to be surrounded by people, and it's easy to have a lot of fairly shallow relationships, but that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is being intentional to develop people who are with us and for us in life in a powerful, life-giving way, and that together we become more and more like Jesus, and more and more like who he's called us to be. And so today, we're going to learn from the goat how to do that. And, and just like I'll say in every time, because this isn't a new thought if you've been a Christian for a while. And it's easy to hear it and think, oh yeah, I, I, okay, I got it. I've heard that. I'm, I'm good. I, I'm in a group or I got friends or whatever. And I, again, just tap the brakes because none of us are doing it like the goat. And all of us are way away from what we could be in terms of the intentionality and depth of relationship that Jesus had and that Jesus calls us to. And all of us can take huge steps. And for some of you, you're like, hey, look, I already, I know. I'm not, like, I don't have that. And today we'll talk about how to develop it as we learn from the goat. And we're going to see, as we look at the relational life of Jesus and how he did that, we're going to see two components to the kind of intentional community that we're called to cultivate. And the first one is priority. Relationships are high maintenance. Relationships take time. They grow slowly over time and they take priority. And in our culture, um, that's really not easy at all. Because we just run so busy and we run our lives so full and we're so pulled so many directions. And one of the things I I read through for this series, you know, I've I've been reading through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the stories of Jesus's life, the goat uh, in a fresh way. And one of the things the last time I did that, that really stood out to me and challenged me is how much time Jesus. I mean, he was busy doing all kinds of things, but how much time he spent just hanging out with people. Because I don't naturally do that. I'm a task-oriented person. I've always got in my mind all the things I'm not doing that I should be doing. And just hanging out with somebody feels like, I don't know, I feel guilty about it. Or it's like, I can't do, hey, you got, you know. And even in the office, I was thinking about this the other day as I was reading this. Because outside my office, there were people just talking, staff people, just chatting, having a conversation. And my immediate thing was, don't you have something to do? Like, do you want me to give you something? Like, you know, and, and that's what, man, that's messed up. Because I need to do that more. And, I'm, and I have been trying since then to just walk around and talk to people. But I always feel like, hey, yeah, how you doing? Good. Um, all right. Thank you. You know, and then go on. And, and, uh, and, but Jesus hung out with people. But he also went deep with people. In fact, he prioritized. He was nice to everybody, friendly to everybody. But when you look at his relational world, when we talk about priority, I think there's a lot we can learn from it. So this is a picture of his relational world, these circles. Okay, and it looks like a target. So on the outer side, you had 
the crowd of people that were around him all the time. And he spent time with the crowd and he hung out with the crowd and all that. That's great. But there was also his followers. And I'm not just talking about the 12. He had at times hundreds of followers. And so you had the people who were around him all that he spent more time with. And then you had this kind of this mysterious group called the 70 that you see several times as he sends out the 70. And these were uh, followers who were closer to him. He would have spent more time with them. And then, of course, you have the 12 disciples. And you could also put in there, there were other followers of Jesus. Like if you're watching The Chosen, uh, you'll see the, the women that were traveling with him and others. And then of the disciples, there was even an inner circle there that he spent even more time with and went deeper with. And that was the three. Now, we also had Lazarus and Mary and Martha, which we'll actually talk about next week. So there were more people in that inner circle with three. I also think it's cool that in the inner circle weren't just dudes. But of the 12 disciples, there were three, Peter, James, and John, that were the closest to him. And he prioritized them. And you see that. Like one of the times you see that in the life of Jesus is the, most, is the coolest experience that anybody could have when Jesus was on the earth. And he didn't do it with the crowd or the followers or the twelve, but with the three, with Peter, James and John. It's called the transfiguration. When Jesus on top of this mountain reveals his glory as God. Because Jesus claimed and we believe that he was God who took on humanity and came here. He wasn't just a good guy. He was God who became human to connect to us. And there on the mountain, he reveals his heavenly glory, his divine glory in ways that we can't even imagine what that was like. But Peter, James and John saw it. Here's the story. After six days, this is in Matthew 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And it goes on. But Jesus, I mean, they get to see Jesus in all his glory. And not only that, but two visitors from heaven, dignitary, like VIPs, Moses and Elijah, that they've learned about all their life, show up. I mean, imagine being there and seeing that and be like, what's going on right now? I can't. And, and Peter loses his mind. He's like, let's just live here. Let's build little tents and live here and all. Because it was so such a cool thing. But Matthew knew about it. They didn't keep it quiet. I mean, they told the experience to the other 12. Matthew is one of the 12 disciples who was writing about it. And you've got to think that there's a little bit of envy, a little bit of jealousy. In fact, you do see that in the, in the relationship of the disciples as they kind of bicker with one another about stuff that Jesus didn't seem to mind. He was fine prioritizing the 12 and prioritizing the three. And there were times that when he really needed support, when he really needed encouragement, those three were there for him. Like the Garden of Gethsemane, which we'll look at a little bit later. And the Garden of Gethsemane is one of the most powerful moments in the life of Jesus. Probably a low, his most difficult point, the lowest point of his life. And that is uh, the, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane is the night he's arrested in that garden. He's eventually going to be arrested, but he spends his time in prayer. He's arrested and the next day he's going to die on the cross for the sins of the world. You and I have no idea what that means in terms of his suffering. How God taking on sin, and we can't even understand it, but Jesus, of course, could. And so he knew what was coming the next day. And he's at a low point. 
And we'll read it in a minute. But he takes the 12 to the garden and he says, I need you to pray for me. But then he leaves the nine and he asks Peter, James and John to go with him even deeper in the garden who are right there with them. Because that was his crew. And when they needed them, they were there. And that doesn't just happen. That takes priority. It takes intentionality. And, and often, at least what I've found, is that those kind of relationships in our life are ones that at least I can take for granted. Because like, I already know them. They like me. I like them. And I, but, but I've learned that if I'm going to build those relationships deeper, I'm going to have to not take them for granted, but put some systems in place. Some of you are extroverts way more than me, and you, you do this well. But for people like me that are task-oriented, I've got to put some system in place. Meaning, I've got to schedule it and build my schedule around it, because otherwise, I'll never have time for those people. So, for example, and I've shared this before, that every Monday morning for the last 26 years, I've had breakfast with the same person. And that's Bruce Miller, who's an area pastor, and who used to be on our staff here. He used to be my boss here uh, years ago. And, uh, and Bruce and I have known each other all these years, and... And, and when you, when we, you know, do life together, we travel together and other things too, speak together, do different things. But when you have a relationship that long and it goes that deep, there are no secrets. Because we can tell when, hey, you're not being honest with me. You're, you're not really sharing what's there. Like there's something else there. What's going on? And it's invaluable. But every Monday morning... That's a, it just, I just do it, right? Every Monday morning. Once a month, I have a long lunch with another uh, friend of mine, Conway Edwards, who's an, another area pastor. Well, we just did it this week, and it's a long lunch. It's just once a month, but it goes two, two and a half hours. And if you know me, I don't do two-hour meetings very often. I, anytime people want to do, hey, let's do a half-day meeting, I'm like, really? Don't you think we can do that in an hour? Or maybe 30 minutes. Like, I bet if we tried, we could get that done. Right? I just don't like long meetings. Sometimes I do them and, you know, but, but in that case, right, I, I, it's, it's so life-giving. I, it takes time. And here's the thing. There's always a hundred reasons every Monday and on that Wednesday lunch when it comes up, there's always a hundred reasons to cancel it. Because there's always things that I really should be doing other than that. And I've learned. That it's such a big priority. There's no way I'm going to cancel those. Like when I was on sabbatical last year. It was the first sabbatical I've done. And God was speaking in my life. And it was really. It was those two who came up and joined me for three or four days. Just to help me process. And, and help me hear what God was saying. And put it together. And, and, and when I've gone through difficult times. And, and all that. And need perspective. Guess who, have been, guess who have been there for me. But it takes priority. Our church is built around a di this discipline. And I encourage you to take advantage of that. Meaning you, we're a church that's not just built around sitting in rows, but also sitting in circles and developing relationships. We're a church built around groups. And Christy and I are in a life group too. And that's a regular discipline every other Sunday. And there's always a hundred reasons that we should be doing something else. Right? But we've learned to make that a priority as we do life together and have done life together with that group for years. And it's been so life-giving and so helpful for us and continues to be. And it's, but it's a discipline. And this week, 
starts signups for spring groups and for this semester. And let me encourage you to sign up or re-sign up if you're already in a group and give it the semester. Don't go one time and think, oh man, I'm, uh. it, it, usually it takes time to develop. Just, you're only stuck for a semester. You know, you can always go somewhere else. You can always try another group if it doesn't work, but at least give it that shot and give it priority. However, if all you and I do is give priority, that by itself is not going to do much. You could spend 24-7 with a person or a group of people and it not really be that life-changing or that life-shaping or that supportive, right? Without the other component that we're going to talk about. And that is authenticity. The risky choice to be vulnerable. The choice to, to choose being known over managing our image, image management. And we're going to see that in Jesus. But let's just talk about us a little bit. Because you and I, I, we talk about an individualistic culture. We've also taken image management to a whole new level in our culture. With a culture with so, you know, where social media is so much a part of our life. And it's just, you see all the pictures and you see all the things. I mean, we do image management really, really well. And we feel that pressure. And it can be intimidating when you look at other people and see how their perfect life and everything. And, uh, and, and, and it's a choice. You have to make a choice to say, I'm not going to do image management. I'm going to be known. And that's not a very natural choice. I mean, when, it's kind of like makeup, wearing makeup. Um, and I'm all for makeup, okay? I'm not against it. Um, I think it's great. Um, I don't think I should say this quote, but I'm going to say it. In Alabama, there's a quote, if the bar needs painting, paint it is a sign. You know, I, so you can tell me, hey, Sunday, don't do that. But um, so I decided to learn a little bit more about makeup because I don't know much about it. And, uh, and I did. I, I, and so I'm going to give a little tutorial about makeup. For those of you who wear makeup, you may not be doing it right. So I'll help you out here. And for those of you who don't wear makeup and wonder what takes so long, we're trying to get ready and what are they doing? Here's what they're doing. Okay, so this will be. And I'm not even doing eyes for the sake of time, all the eye stuff, because that's advanced. That's the next class. But this one is more basic. So it starts with foundation. And uh, and from what I understand, the whole idea of foundation is you kind of put it everywhere on your face and it kind of smooths everything out. So if you've got some scuff marks or (laughs) bumps or whatever's going on, it sort of smooths it out. Right? Where it makes it all look the same. Right? Am I right on that? And then, sometimes you got bigger issues, and so you this thing called concealer. Right? And concealer is for, you know how sometimes you have stuff, or, or some, let's say you're talking to somebody, and they're not looking at your eyes, like they're looking at your nose, or they're looking at your chin or your hair, and you're like, oh no. What's going on, right? And that's what concealer's for. Because it's for that kind of stuff that people will look at and talk about and put on social media if you don't cover it up. And so whether it's a bump or bruise or I don't know what's all there, crack or whatever, you put, right? You put concealer on it and it just goes away. It conceals it. And then, you know, people get wrinkles, right? And so with wrinkles, I haven't seen this yet, but there's got to be something like spackling compound or something like that. And you get a trowel and you... Fills it in, right? And that's the way it works. And then when you put it all on there, then, as people often say, then you you put on your face. Right? You've got your face on. And that's important. Because you don't want to see people without your face on, right? And, uh, and and therefore, like in a dating relationship, a big moment is when you allow that person to see you without your face on, without your makeup, to see you as you are without all the 
stuff. And, and I remember for, and for Christy, um, when I, the, the first time I saw her without makeup, as far as I know, because we knew each other in high school, but we weren't dating in high school. When I met her again was in college on the beach and, uh, and she didn't have makeup on. And that's when the romantic stuff, you know, a little bit ding, 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 whatever that is started without makeup. And so I always tell her when she's getting ready, she always thinks I'm just trying to rush her and, you know, and, and want to get there quicker. When I say, hon, you can't get wrong. You can't get it wrong. I mean, you're just, you can put on makeup and you'll be beautiful. If you don't put it on, you're, be- you're just stuck being beautiful. Hate to tell you, but you just always look great. And I she's like, no, you're just trying to rush me. And I'm not. But, but that's a, it's a big right when you do that and you show your face and all that. And all I'm saying is this. Makeup's great. But when it comes to character makeup, when it comes to the facade, image management that we tend to do, if we're going to have the kind of relationships we're talking about, it's a commitment to say, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to drop that. Not with everybody, but at least with a few. I want to make sure there are people in my life where I'm not just managing my image, where I'm taking the risk to be known. Because all of us have things underneath the facade of our perfect Instagram stuff and our family photo. You know, because you have to know with a lot of family photos, there were, right before that photo and everything looked perfect, there was a lot of, everybody be quiet. Look up, smile. Smile. Stop it. So, you know, right, all that going on. You don't see all that, right? But we all have it. Well, and it's the choice to say, hey, you know what? I'm, here, here's the deal. And here's what, and Jesus did that. And it's remarkable that he did. Because if anybody had pressure to do image management, which I can, as a pastor, I feel that pressure because people have an image of what a pastor is supposed to be like, you know, and I've even had people tell me, I had one guy meet with me years ago and say, hey, will you occasionally share illustrations of things you do well, not just all the ways you mess up? Because I would like to know you do something right as my pastor, you know, and I'm like, yeah, sorry, you got the wrong pastor, I guess, but, but, you know, just there's pressure right to something but but jesus claimed to be god i mean we believe he was right but that comes with a lot of expectations and jesus just didn't follow the expectations it's it's why ultimately the nation his his people rejected him because he wasn't very messiah-like he wasn't very savior-like in their minds he wasn't very god-like as he claimed to be. it's like you hang out with the wrong people you don't you're not you know, nitpicking all these laws. and all that. Like I, he just didn't do that. And he chose to go be very authentic with those who were closest to him, especially people in his inner circle. Which gets me back to that story. Every time I think about this, I always go to this. There's multiple stories I could go to. But the Gethsemane I go to every time I think about it because it is so poignant. It's so powerful. So in Gethsemane that we just we talked about earlier is right before the cross. He's going to be arrested. You know, all that pressure and all the, I mean, he's, he's not doing well. He's struggling. And he brings the 12 and then ultimately Peter, James, and John, and we'll read it. And you would think he would just sort of be like Jesus in a lot of Jesus movies where he's just every Prozac Jesus, where he's just always calm and everything's good. And, but it's, it's not what happens. Here's, here's Matthew's version. And he was one of the 12. Then Jesus went with them, the twelve, to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and became anguished and distressed. 
Now, why is Matthew writing? Because he saw it. He saw Jesus anguished in distress. Jesus did not hide his anguish. He did not hide his distress. He didn't make it sound better. Oh, you know, it's tough, but I'll be fine. Don't worry about me. He was anguished and distressed. And then he told them when he takes Peter, James and John, here's what he said to his Titus crew. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. That's not together. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death, meaning I don't think I'm going to make it. I need you to stay here and keep watch with me. I need you to pray for me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Is he struggling with God's will? And he's saying it out loud in a way that they can hear. He's not hiding his struggle. He's being authentic in his struggle. He's being vulnerable in his struggle. And that's a bold move. But that's why he had the kind of friends and intentional community he had. It's because that was his commitment. And that's what he modeled. And if you and I are going to have the kind of relationships we need, it is a bold decision to say, I'm going to stop doing the image management thing, at least with some group of people. And it may not be your whole small group if you're in a small group. It may be. Or you may go deeper with a few and hopefully save people, right, And you, that you can share with and you can go there with and you have no secrets with and you share your struggles with. And those are the people that find the kind of community, the kind of crew that gets you to the destination that we all want to go to be more like Jesus. And you can't do it without it. We need people in our lives like that. But it won't naturally just happen. Like in a small group. Like the challenge this week is to get in a group, or if you're already in a group, make your group a priority, but not just that, but to also be in your group as an authentic person. To kind of be an icebreaker, because every group needs an icebreaker, because groups naturally will just form kind of a fake kind of community, kind of a facade, shallow community where people share things, but not really. And it takes somebody to break that ice. Like, like I, I'm sure if you've been in groups, you very much, and I've been in groups all my life, so I, I've seen this over and over again. This is often what happens. And if you get in a group and it's a new group, I, I bet something like this will happen. So that early on, the leader will share, hey, let's share what things are going on in our life. It may not be the first week, maybe two or three weeks in. And let's just check in. You know, like, what's really going on? Like, share, you know. And, and somebody will start out and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I got something to share. Um, I need you to pray for my neighbor because they have this dog. And it's a cute dog, and they've had it a long time. But I think it may be time, and that's really tough. So would you pray for my neighbor? Which, I get it. Okay, yeah, let's, we'll pray for your neighbor. That's right. And then somebody else. Well, anybody else? Somebody else share. Oh, yeah, well, you know what? Yeah, pray. I, truth is, life for us, like, life's good. Like, if it's any better, they have to arrest us. So we're good. Just pray that we'll be able to keep on keeping on. Okay, we'll pray that. You know, and then somebody else shares something, and then something. And then you get to somebody who's like, hey, you know what? Uh, it's not so good for us. Like, it's really hard right now. I mean, here's what's going on in our marriage right now. And it's not good. We're just missing each other. We are committed to each other, but I don't think we really like each other very much. And we don't really know what to do. We just need you to pray for us. 
whatever, I, something like that. And what, and, and what will happen when somebody does that, it opens the door for other people who really do want to be known. And often, and I found it, you know, the first person or somebody be like, hey, can I do it again? Because, uh, I mean, you should pray for the dog and everything, but we got some stuff going on too. And then the everything's good person is like, hey, you know what? I said everything's good, but actually not everything is good. One of our kids won't talk to us anymore, and it really hurts. And I really need perspective. And, per- and then it just goes to a whole new place, right? But somebody's got to break that ice. And then when somebody does in a group, how you handle that in your friendship, it may not be a small group, it may be a friendship, is so important. Because you'll either shut that person down or you'll have a life-giving relationship. Meaning your job in that moment is not to shame, is not to fix them. I mean, notice when Jesus said in the garden, he didn't come to his friends and say, I need you to fix me. He said, I need you to just be with me. I need you to pray for me. Um, and, and hey, if they ask for your help and they ask for your opinion, give it. But don't just jump. Don't, your job isn't just to throw that out there because that can just shut things down. They probably already know what you're saying anyway. And there's a time for that. But in that moment, it's just such a critical moment. So let me challenge you, encourage you in your relationships, just Say, I'm going to stop doing image management. I'm going to get in a group or I'm going to pursue some friends. And by the way, online, you know, we're doing these groups. There's online groups, too, uh, that you can digital groups online and you can sign up for those as well. So get in a group or prioritize a group, but choose to be authentic. And it is a risk because sometimes people don't respond very well. And, I, you know, that happens. And and but here's the thing. If you don't do it. All you'll have is a waste of time. It won't do anything. A shallow group where people aren't authentic is not helpful for anybody. And if you, if you want to have just a bunch of shallow relationships that don't really matter, or that don't really, you know, then don't take the risk. But it's worth the risk. And if people don't respond well, find another group. Find another friend. Um, and, I mean, Jesus was hurt, you know. Didn't work out so well with Judas, but it worked out pretty well for the others, you know, so things happen, but it's worth it because you and I, Christianity, spirituality is a team sport. We need a crew and we can't do it without it. So let's bow our heads together. Father, I thank you that you've designed us this way. To be relational, to be authentic. And I thank you that you started this thing called church, where we could find those and create those kind of connections. And I pray that we would be a church that does that well and help us do it way better. And God, would you help us individually in our key relationships, in our group of people? Would, would you help us create and find and develop? Our people, our team, people who are with us and for us in life in a deep way. And we're able to be with them and for them in a deep way. It is a precious thing. It's 
also costly. And so, God, would you help us pay the price of priority and authenticity and to do that well. In Jesus' name, amen.